Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We're in a time when a whole new recreating can happen or alternately a completely new form of total control will happen. The Medicine Path Podcast is an ongoing exploration into the intersections of spirituality, depth psychology, and psychedelics. The Medicine Path is a wholly independent and listener-supported project, so please consider becoming a supporter at patreon.com forward slash medicine path, or by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. You can find out more information at medicinepathpodcast.com. Now, here's your host, Brian James. Welcome to the Medicine Path Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Brian James. Well, friends, this episode is a really special one for a couple of reasons, at least. One of which is that it marks the fourth anniversary since the first podcast I recorded with... uh, one of the Gundecha brothers, an Indian singing guru that I was uh, spending time with for a week and learning from back when we lived in Montreal for a couple of years. Now we're back on the West Coast, which feels like being back home. And since that time, I've recorded at least 88 podcasts. There have been a little extras here and there, but this is officially podcast episode 88. So the podcast hasn't been released as frequently as some other podcasts. And that's has a lot to do with just me following my curiosity and going with the flow and only doing podcasts when I feel inspired and particularly with people who inspire me. 
Another reason why this podcast is really special is because of the guest. If you're a fan of Thomas More or James Hillman's work, then you're going to really love this conversation with Robert Sardello, who has been a colleague and friend of those two and kind of came up in the same circles, but I think has a really unique and distinct approach. Robert wasn't someone that I had heard of until fairly recently. Uh, Thomas Moore, who I'm in a study group with, pointed me toward Robert's work. And uh, as soon as I started diving into it, I found somebody who's uh, definite spiritual elder. Robert has uh, developed an approach to psychology that he calls integral spiritual psychology, and it has a really great emphasis on heart awareness and our relationship with the earth and the cosmos that deeply resonates with me. And this conversation with him was, is, pure magic. You'll hear that at a certain point. We kind of come out of the reverie that we've been in together and just recognize what's been happening between us and through us. It's really remarkable. So uh, Robert is perhaps not as well known as his colleagues Thomas Moore and James Hillman, but I think has in his own way been as influential in certain circles. So let me read his bio, which I got and revised from the James Hillman Symposium website, where he's been a presenter a number of times. Robert Sardello, PhD, is co-founder and co-director of the School of Spiritual Psychology, which began in 1992. He's the author of many books on the power of soul and our relationship with the earth, and has been a practicing psychotherapist for over 40 years. His main emphasis has been to develop theoretical and practical approaches to perceiving and being in right relation with the soul of the world, showing that humans are pulled from the time stream from the future rather than pushed from the past, and developing the interior consciousness of the heart. He has created new yet very practical cultural visions in areas such as the meaning of books, the essence of service, the virtues, money, business, giving, healing, religion, living through the heart, and how to be in right relationship with and in the earth. And in our conversation, Robert and I touch on a number of these topics, um, but particularly on heart awareness, relationship with soul and the earth and the soul of the world. But we also we go deep into some other areas that I haven't really touched on too much in the course of the podcast. Um, we talk about the nature of evil, and Robert talks about the at least four types of evil, I think uh, derived from the work of uh, Rudolf Steiner. 
And, well, I don't know what else to say. I should just um, be quiet and let you listen. But I'd recommend really listening to the podcast in a way where you can give it your attention. So when you're relaxed, lying or sitting somewhere comfortable, maybe somewhere in nature where you can just gaze at the trees or clouds or water as you listen to this conversation. And uh, toward the end of the conversation, I ask Robert to lead us in a meditation into heart awareness. And so that will require your presence. And uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. You might hear uh, our senior Boston Terrier, Kingston, in the background during this conversation. As as per usual, he's lying beside me as I talk over Zoom, whether it's with a client or a podcast guest, and uh, you might hear him snoring. And at a certain point, he asks to get out of the room, so he's whining and I have to pause and let him out. And then at another point, he's crying at the door to come back in so you might hear some of that and I hope it just um, adds to the kind of naturalness and humanness of this conversation we got really real (laughs) in this conversation and man Robert is just uh, such a wise man and someone that certainly speaks from a deep spiritual experience. You'll hear that. So please, sit back, lie back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Robert Sardello on The Medicine Path. I'm here with Robert Sardello. And Robert, um, I really want to thank you for taking the time to meet with me and to record this conversation for our listeners. I'm very, very pleased to meet you and looking forward to our conversation after listening to a number of past conversations uh, poses a great challenge. (laughs) Hmm. Well, I like to really just kind of go with the flow. And uh, I I have to confess, I'm always a bit unsure of how to get the ball rolling with these conversations, Um, especially with someone like yourself, who's had such a a long and rich career and whose work I'm actually just uh, starting to explore and get into. And like I mentioned in email, it was Thomas More who kind of turned me toward your work. And uh, when I found your book, Heartfulness, I knew that this is a guy I have to explore more deeply because um, I had a profound heart awakening about 12 or 13 years ago during my midlife wake-up call. (laughs) It's like a reawakening to my heart and soul. And I've been kind of on this journey ever since to explore the mystery of the heart and to try to understand, maybe isn't the right word, but exploring 
why or how it's been so transformational to me. And it's, it's a very difficult thing to talk about. And the closest I've ever found is in the poetry of Rumi and maybe someone like uh, John Keats. Or, you know, the poets speak the language of the heart and music to me, yeah. wordless music even. But your book also, I think I could sense there is a struggle to try to describe the experience of the heart. And you even created kind of your own new language around it. To the difference between conceptual thinking and the realm of feeling, not emotion at all, but feeling, which is the realm of the heart. Uh, because that, that's really two different time streams. Conceptual thinking is, is really concerned ultimately with truth, searching for truth. And that comes in a lineage from the past. You know, so what somebody else wrote, somebody else said, I'm taking it up in this way. So that's a time stream from the past. But feeling, which is... Um, what the very word means, feeling, is touch. It's knowing as if you're intimately in touch with the actuality rather than the distance of conceptualizing. Uh, but that has to do with the time stream from the future. There's a time stream that of the not yet that is arriving, but you can't know it because it hasn't been here before. <laughs> But you can, the heart can feel it. The heart can feel the presence of the emerging. And I got interested in that because of uh, psychology is so concerned with the past, which always seems strange to me of people coming into a session of therapy and, and they want to be different. And we start saying, well, tell me all about your past. <laughs> yeah. And the, so you know, the moment that's done, it's kind of stuck. It's going to be that. And, and rather than let's see, rather than what pushes you around from the past, what is pulling you from the future? Well, let's be so much more interested in people's becoming rather than what they bring that uh, kind of holds that back. Mm. So that that's that's one, and, and then the way of the way of hearing that has to be through the heart. Can't be just conceptual hearing because then it'll be somebody talking about themselves rather than from within their very being and we're together in an acoustical space that reconfigures itself as it's doing right now. I mean, the, the, the particular words are not first, it's the acoustical space that then momentarily configures into these words then dissolves and we're, we're in this non-dual realm in the heart. Mm. And yet in that space, there's still an impression of what just happened, maybe, or even associations to the past, 
um, like your words, they land, they make an impression and then provoke often a response from the listener yeah. or, or me. Yeah, that's the question of how to stay in the heart. <laughs> and maybe we can get to that. Um, I don't know if this will be helpful because I, I, I do want to try to say something about it because psychology is the problem <laughs> and, and that has to be addressed. Um, psyche is not the problem. Psychology is the problem in the sense that, you know, the word psychology that uh, was came about in the 1600s, 1669 or so, and it was, it was a, a word invented by a man named Melanchthon, who was an associate, a friend of Martin Luther. So when Martha, Martin Luther broke from the church, in a way that opened up the soul in, in a new way. But what Melanchthon did is he named that opening up. He says that we'll call psychology. So that, that but that removed psyche from the world and it made this special place of, that we now think of as a certain kind of interiority and it removed soul from the world and it replaced and Melanchthon was also a uh, he was really the first economist so the soul of the world is replaced by money and so that the the I think that the real work of psychology is returning soul to the world. That, that, that I'm, I don't think of myself so much as a psychologist as, as much as a practitioner of the soul of the world. Hmm. Is it possible for the world to lose its soul? Like, is it for us, is it up to us to give soul back to the world? It is now. It's been, you know, the, it, over millennia, many, 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 all of the larger spiritual realms that include soul, they're being handed over to us gradually, but you have to think really, really long. And uh, uh, well, like that, you know, like now the church is nearly gone. So that's, a, but that's, that's a kind of final handing over. We have to do that ourselves now. And it's, it's a, it can it's a it's a real difficult because it can be lost right now the world as you know is at a very very crucial initiation moment where everything is crumbling everything partly because it is old and corrupted completely corrupted but it's also just the, the there's this opening that is happening and the question is how is that going to be filled it's not going to remain a void and there are really really strong forces trying to take advantage of that develop primarily technologies for the complete control of the human being mm which once we see that happening, 
the awakening of the inner life and the heart that is the creative realm of the human being becomes the absolute necessary way of meeting this other danger of being humans being completely controlled. I think you feel that that's what that's that's where we are and that's where that's where what I try to do is situated in 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 that location. Hmm. So psychology having something to do with objectifying the soul in order to study it from a kind of empirical distance? Either objectifying it, which is reducing it down to mind or something. Or going the other way and uh, and entering it in such a way that it is disembodied. Right, some supernatural element. Either supernatural or conceiving of the soul as not embodied. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the the work, at least I feel his work, is how to be a soul presence that is a soul that is simultaneously body, soul, spirit, earth, within conscious awareness. That's that's the when I speak of the soul of the world. That's what I mean, partly. <laughs> but partly the other part is that is done. That can be done. That can be met from the place of the heart, uh, which takes us into total non-dualism. And because from the heart, when we're within the heart, others in the world are not, they're not separate realms. It's not all mushed together either. It's a complex unity. And, yeah, then how to how to how to meet that and and become well it's this kind of work then has to do more with developing a different way of living rather than I live my life in the world and then I have also as one of those world concerns my concern happens to be psychology it's not this is different than that it really is seeing that. Um, we're in a time when a whole new recreating can happen or alternately a completely new form of total control will happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I don't think it's being hyperbolic to say that, I mean, I've said this to clients uh, more and more is that I really believe that we're in a battle for our souls. Yeah. You know, battle with technology or um, consumerism or capitalism, you know, all these kind of forces that I think have a common uh, energy or presence or being behind them. They're just certain manifestations of something which uh, is, is evil. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, but evil is a necessity. 
it's not a evil. Well, it gives us something to wake up to and to then yeah. start to fight for, right? Well, it's also the only way that new capacities can come about by it's not so much fighting in the sense of we've got to, you know, somehow destroy it, mm -hmm. but always being uh, awakening more and more so that we don't unconsciously get taken over as as much of the world is. I mean, meaning that it is now, it's unbelievably a materialistic world. And that, and that didn't, I mean, that happened all quite unconsciously, an invasion by greed and, you know, and possession and all of that kind of. Yeah, there's something else kind of emerging too. It's almost like, I've never thought of it this way, but it just came up as you were talking that it seems like we're entering into maybe something like a post-materialist world where everything is becoming virtual. Um, there's a, a real boom now of what are called NFTs. They're uh, digital pieces of art that mm -hmm. people are making enormous amounts of money off of something that's completely intangible. Yeah. And, and ephemeral. And I mean, so many of our interactions now are happening in this flatland of, of Zoom and watching YouTube videos. Yeah. Well, that's the other, it's all accompanies this, this technology. And then this one's the worst, the most difficult because it is, it is we're being becoming disembodied. Mm -hmm. And really, to think about what that means. What, what it means, for example, here we are, we're doing it, we're, we're having to, it has to be met, but here we are on the screen and the recording, and this will be, you know, once it's recorded, it's not gonna go away. I don't know where it goes, but I don't think they ever just erase them there, it doesn't go away. But I'm going to go away. I will go away Sh shortly probably. <laughs> Then what happens when I'm not here, but all those images and screen and that is now has no connection whatsoever with a living being. Mm -hmm. They can be that, that that is a ripe place for the invasion of certain kinds of not so helpful forces. Yeah, you hesitate to use the word evil. <laughs> yeah, because um, uh, I mean, I, I, I for first that there there's at least four kinds of evil, mm. and uh, like like Luciferic Lucifer, who is also you know the light, but and and Luciferic evil is is living in fantasy, and I means mm. I don't I always live in a kind of fantasy. But that's redeemed by the making of beauty. Beauty redeems the Luciferic. Hmm. The kind of evil that we're talking about, particularly technology and in control, is uh, called the Aramonic evil. The Aramon. Right. This comes from Rudolf Steiner. From Steiner's work, yeah. And it's the kind of evil that works through knowledge, through conceptual trickery <laughs> mm. uh, like technology and what can, technology can do and so on. 
but that has to equally be met. But in it's met through fullness of knowledge rather than, you know, narrow. Right, so a knowledge that includes uh, natural processes. And, yeah, and soul and, and, yeah. Like knowing through the body, through the heart, mm-hmm. other forms of knowledge, yeah. Yeah. Just curious, Luciferic, Aramonic, what are the other two forms of evil? And there's the uh, Azuras, and the Azuras are those forms of evil that seek out destruction just for the sake of destruction. No other reason to, you know, like mass shootings, those kind of that. They don't have any. And then, and then the, the last one is called uh, Sorot, who is kind of the most evil. And I, I really don't know how that shows up. Hmm. Uh, I wonder if that was uh, what inspired Tolkien Sauron. Yes, <laughs> absolutely, without question. Yes. Hmm. So when we're talking about things becoming more ephemeric, uh, virtual, intangible, is that more of the Luciferic kind of force at work there to get us uh, completely caught up in this not, not so real world? All of these modes of evil work together. Mm-hmm. Maybe an emphasis, particularly like this, this mode and medium is is very. You can feel the relation of luciferic harmonic. Yeah, right. definitely. There's a all of this. What we're doing uh, is all caught up in um, the economy and uh, attainment of material wealth and things like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's also entertainment. Mm-hmm. In fact, all entertainment is that, has, that, has that difficulty, all, all movies and so on. It's like capturing our attention, which is such a valuable commodity. Uh-huh. Great, now that's a good place to kind of move and so we can show how to actually be heart present. Hmm. And it concerns attention. What is attention for someone? It's not the same as paying attention. Uh, If I say pay attention, I remain here. If I say pay attention to your big toe, well, it's as if I'm over here and your big toe is over there and I I notice it over there. That's that's, uh, paying attention. Being attention is uh, if I place my attention at the place of the big toe, <laughs> rather than stay here, I place my attention there, then perception and sensing opens up in that moment as a kind of a big toe world. We see, <laughs> we see as if in the place of the big toe. <laughs> yeah. But that, that, that's, the, that's the gift, is that attention is, is really a, another word for our individual spirit. So it, it can go anywhere. Mm-hmm. It can be anywhere. And, and so we can ask it to be in the heart, for example. Or we can develop a process 
utilizing attention in this manner that will take us in literally into the realm of the heart. And that's different than, again, speaking about heart or, you know, he's a heartful person, all those kinds of, uh, mm. this, is, this is more. Yeah, yeah you, first of all, I love that distinction between the paying attention and the being attention. Mm. Paying attention sounds to me like I kind of expect something in return too. Like I pay attention to my big toe. What's my big toe going to give me? It's going to tell me something about big toes or. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then um, being in, in toe space, it's uh, more, feels like a move maybe from taking in kind of external information through my eyes and processing it through my brain with all its associations and judgments about, Oh, I really need to give my toe some aesthetic love and all that to being inside the toe. And it's more of a felt sense that uh, is impossible to kind of speak about or conceptualize. Cause I don't know, you'd have to learn toe language or something. Yeah. Or you have to do the phenomenology of toe awareness. And, right. uh, and you're right, there is no gain from it. And that, that'll become even stronger with the heartfulness, with being heart aware. There's no gain because it can, that concerns love. And we don't gain anything from love. It's often put into getting something from it, which is then using love out of another consciousness. But love itself is about love. Deepening, widening, uh, evermore, it just continues. Then it becomes a way, not a, not something. It's a way of being. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Being in love. Being in love. That's exactly Um, Yeah, I just before we go into experiencing heart, heart awareness, I mean, you you write about this in that book, Heartfulness, that often uh, it's an either or proposition with how we conceptualize or think of the heart, that it's uh, often a substance without metaphor or a metaphor without substance. And it's really hard for us modern folks to hold both realities at the same time. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, because the, the, uh, by the way, that book was written in, I think, 207. So the work has exploded since then. And mm-hmm. I'm just now writing two books that will be quite where that has gone since then. But, um, yeah, because the heart is, a, is a, such an extraordinary organ that is, it is simultaneously physical, soul, and spiritual. The only organ that is that is has those qualities, um, uh, and it, because it's about inner space, inner space, it's about circulation, you know. But but the heart is not a pump. It's not a just a physical thing that shoves blood around the body. 
because uh, uh, because the blood ultimately, which comes through the capillaries to right to the surface of the skin, means that the movement of the blood through the heart is in relation, although it's a different different periodicity, it's in relation to the movement of the sun. The movement of the blood through the body is part of the rhythm of the movement of the sun through through the sky. Mm, going out, returning, yeah. renewing every yeah. cycle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's all. That's, that's why the sun has always been connected with the heart. The, right. Yeah. Well, it's also the the source of life. I think the heart is the first organ to develop in the embryo. Yeah. Um, without the sun, we wouldn't be alive. Without yeah. the heart, <laughs> we yeah. wouldn't be alive unless you're Dick Cheney and have a robot pump <laughs> installed. <laughs> well, that's right. It, it's just as uh, the sun is the center of at least the earth cosmos, not, not the earth cosmos, uh, so is the heart. The heart is this, even those, the word itself says that. The word is an anagram. Uh, earth, take the H at the end, put it at the beginning, and it says heart. <laughs> I've never seen that before. Well, yeah. So, so they're, 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 they're in that kind of rhythm together. Heart. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it, it immediately also reveals that Earth is a mode of consciousness. Uh, and, and when we're within the heart, that becomes absolutely apparent, absolutely apparent uh, that everything indeed is, is conscious and, um, but not, not necessarily conceptually conscious or anything like that. And, yeah, I also think about the heart, like you're talking about it being an inner space, but I also think about it as the place where we connect, when we connect deeply, like when we get beyond concepts and objectifying true connection, for me, feels like it happens at that heart level. Yeah, it's better, probably would be more accurate to speak of innerness rather than the inner. Mm. And, and, and because it also begins to reveal that there is all, everything is innerness, everything. Uh, there, meaning that it, what I perceive as a tree or birds or a room, that's congealed subjectivity. It's just like, mm. like we, we take the body is congealed subjectivity. So I take it as if it's an object, but it's 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 congealed subjectivity. That that and that, that's easy to show. I mean, if we take a deep breath, so that's just relaxing. But the word relax means de-densifying. <laughs> de-densifying. So when we take a deep breath like that, you feel a tingling at the at the periphery of the body. 
identify. Like when you take a laxative, it softens, it uh, allows for movement and flow. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting analogy. Well, wouldn't it be the same root? Lax? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Very good. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, that's right. But, but then already we begin mm. to notice, oh, our body does not end at where my corporeal being ends. It doesn't stop there. That's the congealing of... You know, that, that there, I can, this that I feel here, that's also body. It's also body. But that's why I'd prefer this word. This is the process of im, the process of bodying, rather than saying, I have a body. The moment I say, I have a body, I've, I've congealed it even further with a concept. Mm. Mm -hmm. So when you say the body doesn't end here, the surface level of my skin or maybe the length of my hair would be the most I could imagine it extending. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, just with that, with that little breathing that we did and you feel the tingling and, and if you place attention there, it, it will be as if there is a, there is a field here or a, I mean, a field is opening a light, uh, a kind of radiance, kind of a radiance that is, that is there. And I, I can't, I can't, I don't have the, with my eyes and with my, it's more immediately sensed even. I can't see it particularly, mm. but I don't know where that ends. Mm. Mm -hmm. I don't want it, but that's not, not body. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Right, not a dense body in terms of the way we think about body. Yeah. But uh, I think what you're talking about is the, the sense we have of a field surrounding the body, a field of awareness. Yeah. Um, yeah. And where does it end? Yeah, it's hard to, you know, like some yogic texts say it ends six inches from the surface of the skin. But why? how so precise? I don't, maybe they could see it. I don't know. I don't know. And then plus, this is Hillmanian, really, Jim, you know, that, that really alerted us to this, that uh, soul is not in us, we are in soul. Yeah, so, I quoted that recently. Now, could you could you explain that for, for Jim, who's not here, but who is an old friend of yours, I think? Yeah. Well, it's just that, just this, that it's not something inside us. And, and beyond this felt sense of the bodying there's a there's then another 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 encompassing field that is soul that is soul and um, um, our experiences from the past and even the deep past and the archetypal past they are really within within that realm Jung called it fantasy, but he didn't mean fantasy at all. I mean, he didn't mean, he meant imagination, but he meant it even more than that. He meant this realm that was, oh, he didn't talk that way, but he meant it, you know, it was surrounding us. We are in it. And it's a, a field or a, um, 
as a uh, living, intangible, I want to call it invisible, but here invisible as also being in the visible. It's not suddenly. And, and, and it does relate to our past in, in those deep ways, but it also relates to this question of the soul of the world and experiencing it. Because it, it, if, it, if we're in it, it doesn't mean, <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean that we each carry our own little field and it only goes so far and we're still actually you know, totally separate, but we now are separated with little, little, an array of, uh, you know, fields. It doesn't, doesn't, uh, when we start to move here, suddenly we are all in constant creative, creating, being created, relating, mm -hmm. not only with each other, but with the world and the cosmos and beyond the cosmos into this, this whole world and the spiritual world. Well, it just is, that is, sounds probably abstract, but it actually really, really felt and uh, imagine living with that sensibility. Hmm. Well, I wonder, um, I, you know, my experience of the soul, and I'm not alone in this, is that uh, we do have an individual soul that carries with it certain characteristics. Yeah. So how could we all be of the same soul and still have that sense that, is that a co construct of the ego that wants to have an individual soul that's unique? There is, the, no, there is, there is true individuality, but that's really the spirit coming through the soul you know, radiating completely through the soul, through the etheric, even into the physical. And uh, uh, yeah, we do, of course, in that sense, it's the personality, but that takes us into, so it's really the spirit, but think of, see, what does it, what, what does I mean? Whenever I say I, as we're saying, well, I think this, or uh, excuse me, I have to leave for a moment. Uh, because that sense of the I is so congealed, it is begin, that's very difficult to get to feel personality as beyond its individual, but it is at the same time beyond that. Because and that's because there are actually three eyes. There's not just the eye. There's three eyes. Yeah, I was going to say it depends on which eye you're referring to. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so the, this eye is the empirical eye. You know, I'm I'm sitting here and we are talking, and I hear you, and that's the empirical eye. Uh, and it's not as again, um, they're not separate. They're all, but then there's a, a separate quality or different form of I that is uh, more, it's called the philosophical I. That's the one that says, oh, let's see, what you said was really, really interesting. I, I need to really hold that for a while and kind of ponder it and let it work. That's not the empirical I, that's another, 
another eye. But, you know, they're in relation. And then, but then there is the spiritual eye. That's the one, the spiritual eye that, that uh, you can actually feel the incoming force from this field that is, that is as if it is a force that comes down through the interior central core of our being, down to our toes. That's the divine eye. And it's met immediately by a felt sense of a force moving up through the feet, through the central core of our being. These two forces meet at the place of the heart so that the verticality now moves simultaneously this way and this way. And that we can be in that together. That's mm -hmm. the, kind of the description. Yeah, I always thought of um, Christ on the cross as being a beautiful description of that, the, the meeting of uh, above and below, and then the horizontal plane of the radiating out and the circulating force. Yeah. Interestingly, the Templar cross has three bars. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm positive that, that they knew about the three eyes. Oh, mm. I was uh, I was involved with the kind of syncretic esoteric church from uh, Brazil for a few years, and they they had two bars on the cross, a smaller one above the typical horizontal, and uh, much like uh, what an Orthodox cross looks like. Uh, but I don't know how, how the Orthodox Russians, for instance, how they think of that. But in this tradition, they talked about that second bar representing the second coming of Christ, which was to happen in the hearts of all humankind. Um, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, it's true in a way, even if you think of the three eyes, where that will be felt is in that middle eye as the union of the divine and the bodily meeting in this central place. It's kind of like that, mm. symbolically. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious, when did you awaken to the heart and awaken to the mystery of it? And was it an experience or was it someone like Corbin, his writing about the heart or thought of the heart? What was it? No, it was dissatisfaction. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I mean, just not, you know, I mean, I, I, I went into psychology. I really did because I, the, the, what the word says, the logos of the soul, the speech of the soul. So I went to graduate school expecting, oh boy, we're going to learn about the soul. <laughs> this would be like some kind of mystery school. Yeah, I really thought it would be. I almost got thrown out of graduate school five times for asking him about the soul. Oh, just just in a class saying, well, yeah, but can you say anything about the soul? Because I, I really would push that. And uh, uh, so psychology, that kind of psychology just was, I mean, I barely got through. And I, and I didn't realize at the time how much 
that it was going to take to shed after. But I did know enough where I, I went to teach at Duquesne University after that in Pittsburgh, which is the only university in the world that has a program in phenomenological psychology. Oh, wow. Really? Phenomenological psychology. So that's the other, every, 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 everything that, that, that I now do is based in phenomenological description, which means, just like, like it, it's the logos of phenomena. The mm -hmm. speak of the, means that we, we try to listen and allow any phenomena to speak for itself rather than imposing some kind of a theory or a structure or interpretation system, interpretation let it reveal itself and uh, that that is that's how i got to the heart and um, uh, just stumbled i mean just just not you know moving around moving from Duquesne to the university of dallas where i was able to start a program in phenomenological psychology all the way through the PhD degree. So uh, is this uh, sorry, is this back in the 60s or 70s? 70s, yeah. 70s mm -hmm. through the through the 80s. Um, but it's more, I don't know how much to go into it. It's just that 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 then the gradually I would say stumbled into the heart by I was never comfortable with the notion of psychology being so humanocentric, mm -hmm. completely humanocentric, which then leaves the world and earth devoid. Mm. And, and then we go around feeling, even if I do depth psychology, it feels like, well, there, there's where soul is, but what about the world? Mm -hmm. And I've always felt that. So it more than naturally, pretty naturally unfolded from, from, you know, someplace beginning to, the moment the heart is, is actually experienced, uh, it's immediately apparent that it is, it is one with the complexity of earth. It mm. is a given. Um, so it wasn't, even having to find it, it's just given. Yeah. I just need to let this dog out. He's ready to go. <laughs> okay. Chris, thank you. Give me a moment to, to uh, what, what comes is again about this conceptual and feeling realm and particularly in, in, in trying to convey that in writing because it, it does then turn out to be an intertwining of concept and feeling. So that, but, but it, that mm -hmm. can, I'm sure that it confuses people. Like they, they, they either get it right away or they say, I haven't got a clue of what you're talking about <laughs> because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't fit. And so challenging. Yeah. Sorry, just to jump in there, but um, it's, in engaging in the mystery, the wondering about the heart, feeling how transformative it's been in, in my life and trying to help people awaken to that. Like for me, it was like, 
I wasn't looking for it. It was like an act of grace or something. It it happened. Uh, is happening. <laughs> can you say in a little bit how that occurred? Well, uh, I was in my mid thirties and had uh, had quite a successful career as a graphic designer in advertising and uh-huh. and uh, found myself at a place of real uh, great suffering and dissatisfaction and um, stress and anxiety uh, were just increasing and um, sleepless nights and nightmares and panic attacks and soul was crying out. I can look back and see that now. Um, And so I went searching for help and uh, found my way into some strange corners of the world, like with this Brazilian church that uses Mm. uh, ayahuasca as a sacrament. Mm. And uh, I didn't know much about it when I got into it, but the first ceremony that we had, I experienced a profound death and rebirth. And I felt like I had come, the way I describe it is coming home to my heart. And uh, I remember walking out and looking up to the night sky and just kind of being in love with the world again, like I, I was when I was a little kid. And it's been a constant source of renewal ever since. And uh, so Very always kind of seeking, like, who else is talking about this? Like, who who gets this? Help me understand this, because I didn't hear about it in religion class or in Sunday school, um, I didn't read about it in psychology, which was mostly seemed uh, how to change your behavior or to understand your past and how it's affected you. And But where was the heart? Where was the soul? And I mean, this is the course of study I've been on for the past 12 years or so, you know. In your, in your description, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure this always happens that it requires, the awakening requires going through some kind of death. Either, and I don't mean literally, but it can be literal, it is a death experience, but some kind of something you're completely removed from what you were, Mm -hmm. as you described. That is almost, because it cannot heart cannot be added on to the way we already are. Mm. I have all this and I want heart too. (laughs) Mm. You can't, you can't. It's a complete revolution. That's interesting. I've never heard that before actually, Um, but that's what happened. I mean, I had an experience where uh, from mind's perspective, ego perspective, uh, I lost consciousness. Uh, although I don't think I lost consciousness. I think just the ego got kicked out of the room for a while. Yeah. And uh, when I woke, I mean, it was like a, it was like a rebirth and a homecoming. And, you know, I yeah. looked at the group and they're welcoming me back in. And I felt like I belonged to somewhere for the first time and maybe forever. Yeah. Uh, it was remarkable, but yeah. I'm wondering certainly how you retained that and developed it and continued it because many, many people do that. They do have that revelatory experience, but then get caught up again into the usual uh, collective consciousness. 
Well, I, I upturned my life. I mean, I quit my successful mm. high paying job within a month. Uh, we sold our house in Toronto and we moved out to the West Coast to where I'd always kind of felt at home in the nature here. And, uh, you know, it's been a financial struggle ever since, but I've never felt more satisfied, more alive, more kind of in wonder, more in love with life. Um, you know, maybe not so much in love with the way the world's gone. Uh, that's been the biggest struggle for me. Yeah, that's really, really helpful because uh, it gives a wonderful kind of picture of heartful presence as a way of life. And, and but it requires a moment of absolute commitment. Mm -hmm. Whether it's even voiced or known, but there's something that occurred for you and that's the difference of, say, people who have such experiences and are really awakened in the heart. But they don't very often follow it through so carefully as you did with an actual commitment. Because you were basically saying, look, I'll do anything, whatever, to stay within this and watch it unfold in development. Nothing is going to remove that that's a commitment yeah it, it's a it's a sacrifice but it feels like it's the most important thing to me because um, yeah. well, not having kids uh, i wonder why else would i be here if not for uh witnessing participating in this and then trying to bring that into the world somehow because i'm in such despair over how the world is going yes you know, the word sacrifice means to make holy, mm -hmm. you know, but both holy and holy. Mm. And, uh, and to make holy means, you know, everything that I think I can have is not to be had. <laughs> it's not a matter of having it. It's a, mm. it's a different way of doing. Mm -hmm. and yeah, that, that, that rings true to me. Like, I think some of what I've been responding to is sensing an absence of soulfulness, heartfulness in our culture and trying to give something back into that to help keep it alive in the world. Cause if it's lost, I think we're completely lost. I yeah. think it's, it's, we're at a crucial point now where if we don't revive the heart and soul, uh, we're, we're done with it. There's no hope. Yeah. I was thinking that way too, but I, given up that way of thinking, <laughs> meaning that uh, no matter what, the work is to stay and remain within heart. doesn't matter in a certain way what is what goes on. It's just as, oh, and this interesting, it's a whole new situation to now develop even probably more deeper and wider and higher heart awareness. So, uh, Otherwise, I do. It's too hard. I, I get caught in this is the end kind of phenomena. And I, it, it is the end of an era and the beginning of another era. And either way, even if it goes well, it's a new work that is, yeah. and, and not just new, new, creative, absolutely creative. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't so much despair like the end of our civilization or even of humanity, to be quite honest. I don't think that's such a big deal. Um, but 
what I do despair over is the suffering that I see, the kind of sense of lack and loss uh, in the people that come to me, um, in the people I meet, you know, in everyday life. And uh, I just know that life can be so much richer and that we can be in such deeper relatedness with the world and with each other that can bring so much joy and help to um, not alleviate suffering, but to help us bear it. <laughs> That's why you're doing what you're doing is hard work. I mean, the, the, the relation between suffering and, and a heartfulness or like that, heart being yeah. within heart is a suffering, meaning I allow. I allow, I receive rather than think that I'm controlling. Mm -hmm. And so people who suffer, they're right at the doorway. People, yeah. that, that is the doorway, for sure. Um, My yoga teacher, um, TKV Desikachar, uh, he got well known to the West for a book called The Heart of Yoga. And uh, his yoga was all about awakening people to the heart. And mm -hmm. uh he he said, you know, thank God for my suffering because it brought me to yoga, which then became his life. And uh, yeah, yeah, you know. but yeah. what an attitude! Thank God for my suffering. Why? Yeah. Because it helped me to awaken. It's, wow! Psychology used to do that. I mean, it really did used to do that, and in some in some ways, it, I'm not sure that it does now. Um, for if, if there's if the if there's not an invasion in psychology by this will make you better and you're gonna we'll take away that and things will clear up, that's not psychology anyway. It is well, the difficulty is your suffering is not filled with consciousness of what is going on and how to how to how to move within it, and uh, and the only way to do that really is within the realm of the heart. Mm -hmm. because it's the lack of consciousness of the suffering that creates the internal rift yeah because suffering's happening yeah. and we're trying to do everything we can to not experience it and it's actually the rift that is creating mm -hmm. uh the problems maybe more so than the suffering itself oh yeah and you'll always i'm sure you've noticed this every time you're about to make some kind of a inner move not knowing it at all, but things will get worse. Your life will get worse. It'll it'll really look it'll not be good. <laughs> but that that is the it's just saying you're ready now to go to a different level within the heart. And once that happens, that that particular way of just being caught in suffering is dissolved. That was, by the way. Uh, uh, in a way, again, I argue you already know I don't believe in psychology per se. I I'm getting the sense of that. You sound very <laughs> much like Hillman in that respect. <laughs> I also don't believe in therapy in the usual sense. Uh, uh, because once those times of suffering can be seen as this is where there is the moment of, of a developing a new deepening heart capacities. But then it has to be done, has to, you know, have to really work at that. Uh, I do consulting with people. I don't call it therapy because it's not therapy. I consult with them concerning heart. Uh, 
And um, people who would be often typically, you know, sort of categorized as needing therapy for this or that, anxiety, depression, all that. Don't, I don't go anything into the usual way, but just we practice heart engagement together. Without exception, whatever any of those people came in with, they, that, dis, that dissolves. I mean, it, it, but it dissolves by becoming inwardly held and worked with within the heart. And uh, um, so it's a different, I don't want to call it therapy. <laughs> mm. Well, like, you know, one of my mentors, Tom Moore, he, uh, he really stresses that uh, what we're doing when we're doing psychology is soul, soul tending or caring for the soul, um, which to me is much different than um, talking about the past. Like, yeah. you know, I, I remember reading Hillman once saying, uh, you know, I'm not interested in origin stories. That's right. <laughs> well, there are those people, Hillman and, and Moore, and they're doing something quite different too. That's, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just sending my wife a message because the dog that I just let out is now crying to come back in the room. So, <laughs> well, you know, that's very interesting to me because that's been, I think, um, you know, I've been uh, counseling people for, you know, five or six years. It kind of grew out of the, the yoga teaching that I was doing because I was teaching people individually, helping them to develop a personal practice. And often they would bring, you know, problems that they're experiencing in their life to our sessions. And we had end up talking more than we ended up practicing yoga. And so I wanted to meet people where they were and what they were bringing to the sessions. And so I started to study more and get some trainings and try to find an approach that felt um, uh, resonant with the approach to yoga that I'd been taught, which was very much this heart centeredness and, not so prescriptive or not about attainment or anything like that, but really bringing ourselves into heart awareness. Like Deskachar always said, yoga is about relationship. The quality of your relationships reflects the, the quality of your practice. Well, you're, you're doing love, which is what we are. Doing what human beings are here to do. Mm. Uh, not just to do, not not as if well we we're this way and then we do that. There is no our doing is our being. Our doing is our being. That is the the human being is a being of love here to do love. But now, but then what is love? <laughs> love, love then is as you mentioned in terms of counseling or therapy. Love is undivided attention undivided attention <laughs> mm -hmm. undivided um, yeah well i guess we're you know why i was mentioning that um is that uh i've been somewhat frustrated when uh, people come to me and there's they're so conditioned to want to talk about the past and want to talk about their childhood and 
um, identify the early traumas that are the cause for everything that's not going right in their life now. And my experience of it was getting into the heart. And like you said, all of those things that seemed like problems before, they they dissolve. It is over. They're still there, but they don't have that sense of uh, unbearableness. Yeah. Like yeah. the space of the heart is so vast that mm. all of those uh, instances, those things that happen seem so small in comparison. And the, the heart can hold all of it. And yeah. it's, yeah, you can visit it. You can be caught by one of those memories or past experiences, but you always have the opportunity to release back into the bigness of the heart. I need to kind of go back a bit and because um, it was for purposes of, of finding our way here. But, you know, all those other little things, oh, not little, all those other ways of even doing therapy and what people have to go through and and even the problematic solving therapy, that, that's all right too. I, I, I just don't want to include this as within that mode but i don't want to say that it's not helpful either it mm -hmm. may turn out to be very helpful and make it possible for you know heartfulness so i, I need to kind of go back on what i was sure yeah i appreciate that so then um because that's you know where you've just chosen to focus it's you know that's where you're coming from and where you want to help guide people. Um, when someone comes to you and they're really caught up in their old story and they want to like get to the bottom of their big T trauma, uh, how do you respond to that? You know, how do you kind of gently guide them toward the heart? And uh, yeah. Well, I don't, uh, I mean, I just, whatever the phenomena is, that it comes and it presents itself, listen from the place of the heart. And so, so for, and gradually, gradually that will be come because it's done in undivided attention, their attention becomes undivided. And that's, and it's, and it's gone. Um, and I don't say that's fast. <laughs> Sometimes that takes a long, long time. I want to mention, I'm noticing very interesting our conversation because I noticed the background very strongly, not so much the objects, but, uh, but there are moments in our conversation where you're emerging out of this space that you're in, including the background. It's not like, it doesn't even feel like you're in a room over there sitting in front of a wall with decorations. That's, I'm already, there were moments in which you were being, you are being reconfigured out of that realm of space that you were within. And uh, it's quite lovely. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's the first time ever I've experienced it on through this medium. So that yeah. is extremely helpful because it gives hope to medium. Mm. Because this will, now this is in the current of 
electronic currents. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, thank you. I think it's remarkable. Mm. Well, yeah, I, you know, I've had to kind of um, exclusively meet with people over this medium for the past two and a half years. And um, I was always familiar with it because I'd always worked with people who lived abroad and, you know, so I, I was one of the first people actually on Zoom. I met one of the founders and he said, oh, you got to try out our platform. You think huh. Skype is not so great? Well, we're working on this thing, huh. right? So, huh. but what I found, and I don't know, I, you know, I always create a ritual when I open up this screen. I have a little altar here. I light a candle. I burn some incense. I, you know, I say a little prayer. Um, I have, you know, my reminder of why I'm doing this. I have my heart here on my altar. <laughs> What I've found actually is that all of this, this computer that you seem to be living within and the distance just kind of can fade away. If we're, if both of us are really present and open and listening and engaged, everything else, you know, oh, I just noticed I have a window open with questions on it that I haven't even looked at because I've kind of been in your space, it feels like. Yeah. Um, so everything else kind of blurs out and fades away. And I call that entering medicine space. And I don't know if it's like it for anyone else, but, you know, I find it's possible through this medium somehow. Yeah, that's earth heart space, definitely. And to experience being within that in this medium is a revelation for sure. Yeah, just like yeah. actually being together, even though we're so far apart, you know. Yeah. Thank you for saying how you have the room. It's not just I walk in and sit down at a chair and boom, you really are very aware of making a place, a place where something can happen that has not happened before. That's uh, what I most admire about what you do is how you can do it without it becoming here it is another one of these happening again. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure that no one you've talked with has any sense that that it was like that because it's not at all. And um, that's uh. Well, if it was going to be that, why bother? You know, like if I was just going to repeat some questions that the publisher sent me, mm -hmm. um, I'm like, why? You know, it's not worth me showing up for this. I'm not adding anything special to the world. <laughs> you know, it's, I want to be here to explore with people like you. I don't want to just um, be another platform for you to deliver your monologue that you've delivered a hundred times about this particular book or whatever, you know, it's like, well, there's enough of that out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Can it takes go? two, takes two to tango because some people do show up and they've got their script and um, they're not really here. So takes thank you for being a part of it. Takes two as one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm recognizing the time, Robert, and you've already been really generous, but I really would love to end uh, with maybe something experiential for people who are listening. Uh, could you offer us like a little uh, guidance into, you know, just tippy-toeing into the heart space or heart awareness? Is that possible? Well, the, the first little tippy-toe, yes, because you'll notice it right away. If you, if anybody 
thinks of a difficulty there within, a problem or concern and a feeling and anxiety, doesn't matter what it is. Whatever it is, just uh, drop into quietness. Well, I'm uh, I'm a little worried about, you know, when I get my tax uh, statement back, what it's going to say. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll sit with that. Yeah. Well, this, this, just completely let that drop into the heart. Really. And it's gone. Yeah, it's almost like the worry about it. Well, who knows? It's like sploosh. And <laughs> like in this in this oh. present moment, oh. everything's functioning. Here yeah. I am. I'm with someone who, yeah. uh, what an interesting, uh, remarkable person. Like, wow, yeah. <laughs> isn't life grand? <laughs> so even that, you know, then, then you get interested in, gee, I, I wonder if that can become permanent. <laughs> or at least more available all the time. And uh, then we can go into, a, you know, more, well, there's one, I want to try to describe this little practice because at one point, it'll take you into something astounding, uh, or at least we can talk about it. And that, that is, you know, start with that deep breath and relaxing, de-densifying the body. and noticing the tingling at the periphery of the body. And then uh, select a place at the periphery of the body, like your arm, your left arm. And you notice that kind of, uh, it feels like you've been lightly touched. You're being lightly touched. So then you pour your attention, pour your very being into that place, pour. And you'll feel like it's going through a tunnel of some sort, but it's revolving and and suddenly it gradually, it comes to a quietness, an inner quietness. And that is the place of the realm of the silence. Silence doesn't have to do with being quiet. It's a, it's a place. This is the place of silence. Deep. Feels like it's deep. Certainly inner. Inner, inner deepness unending, you can't, within silence, you don't know where it is, you don't come to a wall that says, oh, that's the end of silence. Hmm. Then you place silence attention into the silence. Pour it into the silence. And you feel another complete It's like your whole body is being reconfigured. And you come to this place of, like, you come to the place of stillness, pure stillness, which is 
thousands of times more quiet and silence. And if we stayed with it, you'll even begin to see within this stillness that it is a like a velvety black realm that is not at all flat. As we just stay there, you notice that it's infinite. Sometimes even little points, a lot of little points of light show up in it. But you, you know, and you can continue placing attention within the silence. And then again into the silence. It goes deeper and deeper and deeper. This is the realm of the spiritual worlds before initiation occurs. Mm. That is, with what we're doing, you know, we, we won't meet likely spiritual presences and beings and like those who have died and angels and other, other presences of the spiritual worlds. That takes a whole other work. But it says, well, human beings are always in connection with the infinite realms. Now, within this infinite realm, with our lips, either silently or with saying, but it has to be done by also moving the body, the lips, we gesture the word Bart. And another complete reconfiguring of our whole being occurs. And we are within heart, but heart has no particular boundaries but it is still completely in body. Mm -hmm. And it's felt, can feel a force centered at the, the level of the heart, but toward the center of your being. And it's a radiance that moves way beyond the corporeal body, while at the same time, an inner equal radiance occurring. And now we are within heart. that doesn't go away with our eyes open. It's still very, very present and uh, quite easy to 
stay there, stay within that place. It can become now a place of living, uh, or although it needs to be renewed, the little plant needs to be renewed, but it's, uh, it is now very present. Mm. Yeah, I had this image of um, <laughs> a little man, like little eye, <laughs> getting going into a bathysphere and just dropping down into this vast dark ocean with um, phosphorescent uh, creatures flitting around. You're talking about those lights in the space and yeah. being in the silence inside the silence, like the silence of this little bathysphere inside the greater silence of that substantive silence. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Really good. I can just I have an image now that you know if I feel like I'm getting caught up in caught up in something, mm. I can put that little man in the bathosphere and just drop. <laughs> that was very very interesting. You know, and uh, uh, it's very remarkable because particularly that place of coming into that stillness and. Uh, how even now it feels that we are a continuity unfolding from forever. We're not alone. Mm -hmm. And it's not, I mean, even in everyone who has ever lived is here right now. Yeah, when you're talking about it being difficult to feel or describe the shape of the soul, uh, you know, I've, I've, for the first time, I had the image of my soul uh, being stretched back into time. Yes, traveling like through dimension, another dimension, as you know, as well as not having some form I could put my finger on. Yeah, great. Hmm. You're very, very good at describing and that's very helpful it's helpful mm. it's helpful for you because it'll you can have a it helps you got the image oh, now yeah mm -hmm. also enormously helpful for anybody i mean hearing you it gives it gives an orientation that uh oh that's why i think i think maybe i mentioned this but uh, exercises and spiritual Spiritualities are full of exercises and practices. I I I want to revision ex exercise because it doesn't mean if I, I you know work at this then I develop something that wasn't there before. Right, so, like I'm building my heart muscle. Right, right. <laughs> doesn't that's not you know, but it it is the artistic activity of making and being at the same time and being within an image. Mm, mm. It's, a, it's, it's a, the work of art, of, of integral spiritual psychology. The work of art is the practices. Mm. Completely changes the sense of practice. Yeah, th that's great. You know, after I had some really good teaching uh, in, in yoga, like how to really practice yoga and to find my own practice or find the practice that wanted to find me or something. Cause it felt like an act of discovery every day showing up and seeing, okay, 
<laughs> what does yoga want to do with me or something? But um, I would often have these images and it became really clear to me early on that everything that we know in the yoga scriptures was just these practitioners trying to describe something of their experience so that it could be shared with others. Mm -hmm. And there was nothing dogmatic about it because mm -hmm. if you look at all the different scriptures and all the descriptions of chakras and Kundalini and all of this, there's no consensus, but of course there's no consensus because we're talking about individuals having their unique experiences based on their own past experiences and culture and environment and everything else. And that gave me such a sense of freedom around my practice that, you know, it became clear to me that the technique was a way in to that kind of mm -hmm. openness that allowed images and forms and mantras and all these other inspirations to come through and that um, new things could be discovered that way. And that then yoga as a, a thing <laughs> remains alive and like ever unfolding. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, so when you talk about, yeah, the practice being images, Oh, that really brought something home for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Art, this whole art sense. And uh, Oh, that too. What, it, well, what, what else is in heart? Well, art. We, <laughs> Art, right? Of course, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah, we also have just moved as we move from our usual ordinary consciousness, which is fine the way it is, but it's a it's a shift from living according to fate to living in relation to destiny. Uh, and, that's that past and future pull you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Nice way to put it. Yeah. Say that again, please. Well, it, 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 the heart is the, when you win the heart, you're in the realm of destiny rather than feeling fate. This is, when you when you live from the past, you'll strongly feel that sense of fate. And that's there. I don't want to take it away. It's there. But in the absence of also feeling destiny, uh, most, the most important part to say it is that, well, see, first, that destiny isn't something that you know. Right. It's, as I was thinking, it's always unknown. Yes. Well, it's something you are and, and you know you are within it. Like you know? you're becoming destiny. Becoming it. Destiny is life as it now appears each moment. Plus, the way you you'll notice if you're when you're in destiny is it'll show up not in here, but in the world, perceptually, perceptually. Uh, So-called synchronicity is what Jung called it, but it's got a bad ring to it now. Yeah. It just means that we've also opened into world unfolding. So you, you'll see something like, you won't recognize it, I mean, if, like, after Jim Hillman died, I was sitting in my office and I heard, I felt his presence really strongly. And he said, go outside. And uh, I thought, well, I'm not gonna do that. I'm just making that up. But so I, go outside. So I went outside and it was dusk, almost, you know, 
and uh, one the moon was out, and then all of a sudden this huge and it was over. We lived in front of a little lake, and a huge flock of geese flying in formation. Just at that moment, I was there, went through, and I knew bodily. I knew Jim, Jim Hillman, Jim. <laughs> there was no doubt about it. it wasn't didn't didn't remind me of him. It didn't. It isn't, wasn't symbolic of him, it was his presence. Those kind of occurrences will, will happen that they don't look like they're related to what I'm maybe struggling with at all, but they absolutely do and open the way to stay within what we're you know, attempting to do that in terms of the heart and the, and the opening and not get caught in by, how am I going to solve that? It will be, it's revealed, it's shown in the world. Because, because, <laughs> because the earth is the spiritual earth. See, I always wondered about heaven. Where in the hell is heaven? <laughs> Where in the hell is heaven? What a great <laughs> sentence. <laughs> yeah, we think of it as, I don't know, up there somewhere, man. But there is no, it's here. It's above the clouds. Come on, that's where the <laughs> angels hang out, Robert. <laughs> that's right. It's right here. This is heaven. No. Well, that was like what Christ said. I mean, this is like he just dropped that little truth bomb in there, though. I don't think enough has been made of that. Yeah. But he said, it's it's all here. Like, split open a, a piece of wood, and I'm there. And, you know, lift up the rock, and I'm there. And it's like that to me suggests like the splitting open of the log or the lifting of the rock to find the kingdom of heaven suggests to me that, you know, it's, it's normally, maybe not normally, but it's often uh, hidden from our perception. And we got to kind of do a little digging around in order to, to see it. Yeah. Yeah. In all the dark places, like inside, underneath, right? Mm -hmm. Significant. Yeah, it's a great teaching there. Why don't the Why don't the churches make more of that kind of thing? Because I think you know, people these days would be <laughs> quite receptive of that kind of teaching. Like it's it's really good. It's very descriptive. It's very uh, awakens the imagination. Yeah, there are a few who I know. I know actually. I have a really dear friend who's a Monsignor Catholic priest and uh, who went through our little gathering, the year-long heart initiation course. And he does, that's what he does in his hmm. preaching completely. Great. Is, uh, is, did you do an interview with him that's on YouTube in yes. Houston? Yes. No, in Dallas, right? In yes. Dallas. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll post a, a link to that. I just started right. watching that this morning, actually, and I'm really intrigued. Yeah. 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 So if people want more Robert, I'll post a link there. And, uh, you know, you started teaching online now, is that right? You brought your school of integral psychology online. I had to during pandemic. There's also three other YouTubes though, that are conversations with, um, Pierce Kanuka. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, now we have something I have what's called the Heartful Soul Network, and it's a, by membership, and mainly because it's a place of work, you know, rather than people coming in and out. And it has postings and audios and videos and 
we meet on Zoom to, uh, there's a whole series of these practices, and but we meet then every other week and do them together and mm. all that kind of, it's all right, but, but <laughs> well, you helped me, you helped really, really, really begin to redeem this medium. And I'm, I'm very, very, very grateful and will really take some of what you said and showed that you do to make this space you know, that it can happen in this space. Because mm. it's been a year since that Heartful Soul Network and I was toying with, maybe I should stop because I'm, I'm worried about the medium. But I think, mm. thank you, I have a different way of considering it. Mm. Well, that's great. I think I um, might poke my head in the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will send you a, a link. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. I, you know, I've been, it's so hard to find spiritual community for me anyway. I found it so difficult. You know, I've, I've tried out a, a bunch of different ones and I don't feel quite at home in the modern yoga world. Um, you oh. know, all the kind of psychology groups and things, I don't feel quite at home there. And like, I need to be in a place that puts the heart and soul front and center and that's that's been so hard to find so i'm so happy to i'm so happy first of all that tom moore said hey check out this guy and that uh that you're still alive and you're still working and you're still <laughs> you're still offering uh, what you offer like my god you know it's been i can't tell you how many times it's happened where i find out about someone and i read their work and it really resonates me and oh they're gone you know all I have is the books. Uh, so to have a living conversation with you, uh, I just uh, makes me so happy. I feel so full. Well, about finding a place, you know, you may well have to start it. That's what my wife keeps telling me. It's in my astrology chart, apparently. <laughs> I'm not much of an organizational type of guy. <laughs> Don't worry about that. That will that will show you how to do it. You yeah. Will. Well, you probably, well, let's see. We'll see. <laughs> Listen, let us see. Try to hear it. I think, I'm pretty sure you need to do that. Yeah. Or called to do that. Yeah, I've been sitting on a, you know how you buy domain names for websites? Oh, yeah. Right. I've, been, I've been sitting on one for years for this um, imaginal, gathering space it's called the, the heart center <laughs> why didn't i think of that <laughs> i already bought it <laughs> oh my gosh but imagine um you know heartcenter.ca heartcenter.us heartcenter.hungary uh, you know heart centers all over the world well there you go well, wouldn't that be something That's and weird. We have a living elder here who's already created a body of work that could help guide us in this um, awakening of the world heart. My Lord, maybe we're onto something here, Robert. <laughs> it's, it's where it has to go. I don't know if this is, it's us, but it, it's the moment that it's so clearly needed. It's do or die. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for all your work. And uh, like I said, I'll, I'll be swinging by your online virtual school and poking my head in and maybe I'll see you over there. <laughs> I am very, very happy to meet you. And thank you for the invitation. And uh, 
been a wonderful talk, really. Yeah, it's been great for me. Thanks so much, Robert. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. The Medicine Path is produced by Brian James on unceded Coast Salish territory, Vancouver Island, Canada. For more information, visit brianjames.ca. Music by Olive Artizoni, a.k.a. Greenhouse. Join the Medicine Path tribe and gain early access to episodes and the full podcast archives at patreon.com forward slash medicine path. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. May the rain fall soft upon your fields. Until the next time we meet on the Medicine Path. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.